Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Today's episode is brought to you by ModMed. Do your EHR and PM adapt to your style of practice? The ModMed EHR and PM do, with benefits like remembering preferences and automatically suggesting documentation and billing codes. Urologists voted ModMed the number one urology-specific EHR and PM solution available, built by urologists with input from yours truly. Stop wasting 60 minutes and 200 for each of your open or no-show slot. Go to modmed.com slash prsnetwork. Set up an appointment with the team at ModMed Urology and shift your urology practice into high gear. Imagine a solution on a tablet or the web that works seamlessly with revenue cycle management, analytics, telehealth, payment processing, patient engagement tools, and much more. ModMed is transforming healthcare by placing doctors and patients at the center of care. Welcome to episode 114 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And today we're going to answer or, or have a discussion on some questions that came in and just some clarification on a couple of different items. We want to talk about a new versus established patient. And, uh, you know, we all know it's three years, but we want to go a little bit more into detail um is it related to the clinic the person the doctor the provider you know who is it related to and then the second thing we want to cover is uh what a nurse or ma can do and what what can be billed for if there was no provider in the office and then the final thing we wanted to cover is something we've been seeing in our billing uh, or at least some clarification that we wanted to make sure everybody knew uh, with some billing around Provenge and uh, and some of the things that need to happen when you bill uh, for Provenge, the drug Provenge. Okay, let's get started. Let's start uh, with the new versus versus established patient. And and like I mentioned, we all kind of know the basic rule, but there was a question that came in that that uh, I thought was a good question that um, that we could help everybody learn from uh, the answer. Okay, so the question was, um, they have the, the this doctor had some new kind opened a new practice and basically he left hospital employment, started his private practice, and has uh, you know a new tax ID number with a new group number, and he was questioning: Is the patient that that they see considered a new patient, even if they've seen that patient? You know, they they said even though they've seen that patient in the hospital within the last three years. So, is that a new patient or an established patient for coding and billing? And what's correct? You want to? Lay out the rules, Mark, and answer that. Okay, so let's. We're going to start with the CPT explanation, right? So, 
from CPT solely for the purposes of distinguishing between new and established patients. Professional services are those face-to-face -face services rendered by physicians and other health qualified healthcare professionals who may report evaluation and management services reported by a specific CPT code or codes. A new patient is one who has not received any professional services from the physician, qualified healthcare professional, or another physician, qualified healthcare professional of the exact same specialty and subspecialty who belongs to the same group practice within the past three years. So if we look at the CPT definition, we would have to say that if the doc had provided a service to a patient in the last three years, that patient is an established patient to all of the physicians in the current practice. Um, so it, it isn't about where the patient or under which group situation the patient was originally seen or where it was seen. And it's not even about billing an E&M code. It's any CPT code that's provided by a member of that specialty and practice at that time. So you would have to consider all of the patients that were seen by the mid-level and the doc in the hospital as established patients in the new practice. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the CPT rules and that's the technicality if you want to look at that. Now, I will say that there are a number of payers out there and they typically track physicians as a combo code. So they don't only use NPI, but they use TIN or the tax ID number of the entity. So you may, if you were to submit a, a new patient service for a patient that you hadn't seen in that practice, it may actually pay because the provider didn't have a good way to track that new TIN NPI combo in a map. Um, but if, and, and that's why I think a lot of people get confused as to what you can and can't do. Because if your general approach is, well, if, if it gets paid, it's right, um, then you might get paid, um, but that doesn't necessarily make it right on the CPT side. And if somebody were to do a deeper dive and eventually audit that whole trail, it would be shifted from a new patient to an established patient, unless there are some contractual rules that allow that. And you might want to think about this as, you know, if a group of physicians went from, let's say they went from four and then they split into two groups. Um, and their idea was they could swap patients and swap and now have new patients and that were established and all those. So they've got some blocks up for that. And I know it's been made very difficult by all the acquisitions and the fact that physicians are moving around um, uh, now much more than they were when these original rules were set up. Um, but 
the technical ruling here is if if somebody in your practice, regardless of where they were working before, what group they were in before, if they've seen that patient within the last three years, they should be considered an established patient. Mark, one of the things I think is a little confusing in the CPT is in the last part of your definition, it talks about seeing the patient by the one of the providers in the same group. Now, show why that can't be interpreted that that patient was seen by that provider in that group is being the, the key factor. Okay, so I'll, I'll read that sentence again. And you have to take the whole sentence, not just the dissection of it. A new patient is one who has not received any professional services from the physician, healthcare professional, or another, or another qualified, or another physician, qualified healthcare professional of the exact same specialty and subspecialty who belongs to the same group practice within the last three years. And there's a comma there. So if you look at it that way, it's if the patient has not received any professional services from that doctor or from another doctor in their practice or another QHP in their practice that's in the same specialty within the last three years. So there is nothing there that would tie the group practice together prior but there is something that ties the group together at the time the patient is seen. All right, continue after the comma. I think the, the confusing thing was at the very end. Within the past three years. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully that cleared it up. Are you satisfied with that, Ray? Yes. Okay. Okay, so we'll leave the uh, new and established patient topic and move on to the next topic. Uh, the question was, uh, I'm needing clarification on if a patient can be seen by a nurse MA with no provider in the office. Examples would be Foley removals, UAs, etc. It was my understanding in the past that we could not, but this issue came up recently when a doctor was ill and was not able to be in the office. Okay. So let's, to, to, to address this one, we want to look at the definition of incident two services. Um, so incident two services are those services that are defined as services or supplies that are furnished incident to a physician's professional service when the services or supplies are furnished as an integral, although incidental part of the physician's personal professional services in the course of diagnosis or treatment of an injury or illness and services are performed in the physician's office or in the patient's home. To qualify for payment under the Incident 2 rule, services must be part of the patient's normal course of treatment during which a physician personally performed an initial service and remains actively involved in the ongoing course of treatment. 
Now, there are a number of criteria that must be met. And one of those is that direct supervision in an office setting does not mean that the physician, CP, NP, or whoever has the billing number, or in the case of the physician-directed clinic, the PA, then be physically present in the same room as his or her clinic employee. However, they must be present in the office suite and immediately available to provide assistance and direction throughout the time the employee is performing the services. So that would mean that the billing provider, so the provider that actually is on the NPI, because as you know, you cannot bill Medicare without an NPI number. And that is uh, something that private payers may give you a little more leeway on with supervision. So they may allow supervision to be a bit um, broader as to where a physician needs to be when the service is provided. But Medicare is pretty um, pretty strict in all of their definitions and clarifications. So the MA and the, and the, the RN, um, your LPN, those folks do not have NPIs. They don't have provider numbers. They are employees. Um, so ultimately, those are services in a standard physician office that require some individual in the practice to be present in the facility or in the office when those services are provided. So it doesn't necessarily, and, and ultimately the billing for that service does not get listed under the ordering physician, but instead would be listed under the physician that was in the facility or the PA in the facility when the, phys when the service was provided. Ray, any thoughts? No, I think that's a good explanation. You just want to, Medicare, it's, uh, there's no leeway, but in private, why uh, a lot of the private do allow uh, the supervision to be a phone distance away within a certain geographical area. All right, I got a couple questions just quick. Um, so this that's billing wise what about providing the service is that you know if if they do pull a fully and the physician's not there so you can't bill it incident to but yet the service is still provided what is uh is, is that covered by the state licensure so that that's a good question and then state licensure is at just that it's by state um and there are some supervision allowances within some of the states that allow for that to occur. Um, so, um, and then of course, there's your medical legal responsibility um, that's in place that you need to check as well to see if your malpractice would cover those circumstances. So I would look at two different things. Um, in addition to the billing rules, I would look at my licensure requirements in the state, and I would look at my malpractice insurance requirements 
to see if that was allowed. All right, now I'm going to split a hair with this last question. Okay, in in the question, Carrie did ask about UAs. What if you collected the specimen, but then didn't do the urinalysis until the provider was in the office? I think that's fine. You're not doing. You're not providing the professional service of reading until the doc is in the office. So you're okay. All right. Ray, any final comments on that topic? No, and uh, the important thing, as Mark mentioned, is you you have a a, a state licensure uh, covering each of the MAs and RNs and so forth, and they, they can't practice to the the top of their license. You just may not can bill for it. All right. Okay, let's move on to the final uh, topic of the podcast, and that's the Provenge billing. And Mark, do you want to explain why we why this it came up in our internal discussions, in our internal coding class, and um, then what, explain what the confusion is and and clarify that. Okay, so, so basically, this came up in our coding classes, we were addressing some specific billing issues surrounding billing of Provenge. So the the initial question or the initial issue was that some of the Provenge codes had been released without the proper diagnosis combination. So the restrictions on Provenge right now do require that the patient has not only prostate cancer, but uh, a secondary metastasis. So you have to make sure that you are billing um, two different ICD codes, one for the prostate cancer and a second for where the metastatic occurrence is. So you need two specific ICD codes. Um, And then it went on from there to a little bit more of a discussion of what's included in the Q code um, versus what isn't included in the Q code. So the Q code for Provenge um, is really set up because there is a blood draw um, that is required um, prior to the Provenge being prepared for the patient. Um, And that blood draw is part of the Q code, as is the shipping of the the blood to the manufacturer and the return of that package to the practice for that particular patient. So that Q code is all surrounding the preparation of the drug for infusion. And then there is also this the secondary piece of the infusion um, Uh, of that particular, of the Provenge, and that can be charged separate. So you would typically have two diagnosis codes, a Q code, and then an appropriate infusion code like a 96413 billed for the patient on the day it is administered to the patient. And then, of course, you're going to have your follow-up infusions um, that would be billed the same way. Um, in each case, every time that you infuse the patient. 
Okay. Ray, anything? I have nothing to add. Okay. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll end that this podcast here. Um, as we we had some recent questions about uh, the resident uh, the residency program that we have available for the the coding training for residents that we have available, you can go to the PRS Education foundation.org to learn more about that but if you're a resident out there or if you're a chief and you want to get your residents signed up please go to the prs education foundation.org and um, read about how you can take advantage of that program i will i would like to add scott that it's free to all residents our interest is in increasing the knowledge and cutting down on the 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 17 percent denial rate that we're seeing now and a lot of it is due to physicians not being as knowledgeable as they should have be about documentation and identification so let's help us train the residents get the word out all right all right final thoughts mark well, we covered a few different topics today and, um, you know, dro- drove down into a couple of the details and nuances of Medicare versus uh, CPT. And so I'd, I'd just like to remind everybody that, you know, we've, we've got, you know, the whole reimbursement system is kind of built on in layers, right? You've got your foundational coding rules from Medicare or from CPT, and then you have a layer of Medicare, which is, replaced um, or built upon by your private payers. So understanding as uh, you know what what you can and can't do and getting clarification from each of those uh, end entities um, is important. We've emphasized that over the years. So understanding the, the, the payers and the players is important. All right, Ray. No, just to emphasize that uh, you you start with the foundation, but don't forget payers can trump any CPT rule and private payers can change Medicare. Although they do tag on to Medicare rules, what is it? About 85%, is that about right, Mark? Yep, that's the one, that's the number we've had recently is about 85%. Okay, let's end this episode here. Take us out, Ray. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, the juicery.